Greetings, fools. Sean O'Reilly here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Tuesday, January 19th, 2016, and joining Vincent Shen and I in studio is a very special guest, Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Uh, how's it going, David? I'm really pleased to be with you guys. Thanks a lot for the invitation. I'm, it's going well, Sean. Thanks. I can't tell you how excited we were here, you know, to have you and you know the show and everything. Thanks. This is my. I think this is my debut on the show on industry. I'm going to try yes. not to screw up. Well, I'm sure you'll be okay. because you have <laughs> one. You know, you've been doing this for 20 years, right? <laughs> yes. Although all of us have been doing podcasts much less recently, and it's a newer thing, and I'm really excited about in- industry focus and what you're working on, and I'm. I'm uh, happy about all our Motley Fool podcasts. We have about five today, I think, and yeah. all um, well listened to. Um, I think more than a million downloads or so last month, just for all of our podcasts taken together. And so I'm excited about that. And yeah, we used to do a lot of radio. Uh, Tom, my brother Tom and I, I was hosted ask a, you, yeah. a coast-to-coast AM radio show. How many years? Three did you hours. Guys do that? that was a lot of years. I, I mean, it was probably five or six years, but it felt like 50 or 60 years. So, <laughs> yeah. when you're doing live coast-to-coast AM radio call-in for three hours on Saturday afternoons. Not allowed to have a cold, not allowed to stop. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, other people are out playing, I don't know, wiffle ball or uh, hoverboarding these days, and you're in there just doing the uh, Telling call-in radio the, thing. Telling yeah. the importance of long-term... Yeah, and no regrets. <laughs> that was really fun. And then we did an NPR show later on, but... Um, but I'm really excited about all that we're doing online, and uh, and so thanks a lot for the invitation. You bet. Everybody have a good weekend, Vince. Absolutely. You went to New York. Yes. Said hi to mom. It's nice. Got, Got some to home see cooking. Some of my old, uh, some of my old banking colleagues. Actually, it was nice catching up. Oh, that's hearing right. what life is like on the other side. Sometimes we we have a former Wall Streeter here, David. I wasn't sure if you knew. Um, I I mean I I know a little bit about Vince. Actually, I know one of Vince's superhero powers. I don't know if that's really come out in this <laughs> medium, but Vince is amazing with PowerPoint and slides. And just visual display of things. He does all our show notes. I don't okay, do good, anything. Good, good, I just so, show up because <laughs> I think of a podcast as mainly audio. But I know that that's something that that Vince does really well, and that probably fits with a Wall Street background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It def- definitely comes from that. So okay, good. So, uh, David, Vince and I are particularly excited to get your thoughts on a number of consumer goods stocks that we've talked about in the past um, that also happen to be picks in the Motley Fool services that you help head up. Um, first up uh, is a company that's over, you know, in the news a lot these days, unfortunately for not good reasons, is Chipotle Mexican Grill. Um, you wrote back a little over a year ago, uh, Chipotle just keeps posting stunning growth at both new and existing stores. Even if that growth slows down in the future, we still think the burrito chain is on a roll. As consumers demand higher quality fast food, Chipotle seems ideally poised to satisfy this big shift in dining trends. Uh, you also note, you know, pizzeria locale, shop house concepts. Um, they're all over the news for obviously not for their delicious burritos. Um, this definitely feels like a short-term hiccup and obviously an amazing business. And I, you know, again, we we're all fools here, so we know the importance of long-term thinking. What's your opinion of how they're handling this little E. coli? I want to call it little because people are getting sick, but right. How do you think they're handling it? What do you focus on? I mean, I think they're doing a great job. Um, Steve Ells and Monty Moran. I mean, they've they've been public through. Uh, media. They've made all kinds of statements. They've also invited in um, best practice um, analysts, the government, etc., to say what can we do better. They've essentially adopted all of those uh, suggestions. Uh, the stock is down about thirty-five percent or so just uh, in the last few months. I mean, this is a stock that was over seven hundred and fifty in October, and today it's just just right around five hundred, just a little bit below five hundred. It's a remarkable drop, right. third in value for something that really is just a 
relatively, I, I don't want to, as you were saying, Sean, it's, it's a serious problem, and they're taking it much more seriously than I'm about to. But it's a, it's a, I think this is going to be kind of like the Tylenol scare, which really depressed Johnson Johnson for a little while. And then, of course, uh, we all look back and we forget. Or BP oil. Right. Uh, people said, I'll never go to BP again. But then I think a lot of us are going back to BP to fill our cars. So I think it's one of those situations. So I really, obviously, like the stock a great deal. In fact, it's, it's in for the um, running. that we, We're down to two stocks in Supernova for the so-called top stock of 2016. That's a annual thing we do in Motley Fool Supernova uh, through our Explorer mission. And last year, the top stock was Amazon.com, which was a pretty awesome oh, year for Amazon. Why didn't I listen? <laughs> it was up about 120%, uh, which was truly a remarkable year, and we're not nearly that good. But for Chipotle to be down with Under Armour, which I think we might talk about as well today, uh, to be the finalists for this contest for stock of the year for Supernova 2016 says a lot about what we think about Chipotle. That's I happen to uh, feel free to chime in here, Vince, but I I actually loved it when I heard that they're going to close all their locations for a day for a company wide meeting. I loved that. That's awesome. It's remarkable. I mean, it's it's one of those things that um, uh, you, you don't expect companies to do, and and especially when it's that large. Um, you know, we did talk about. You mentioned um, we talked about Shophouse and Pizzeria Locale. I mean, it's a company that has a number of additional brands beyond just Chipotle. But even though Chipotle has been in the news for all the wrong reasons for the last um, couple months, the truth is that there were a ton of happy burrito eating customers yesterday and the day before, far more than people who are troubled or staying away from Chipotle. So, I mean, I think it remains a really great company, and in some ways, I think it's an even better company. Based on the problems that they've had and the reaction that they're having to those problems, so I obviously admire Chipotle. It sounds like I'm not the only one. Um, it's it's just a stock. So if we get it wrong, or if we say it's the top stock for 2016, it has a so-so year. I'll still like it for the next three plus years. Right. I'll echo uh, David Sentiment there. Overall, you know, there's a Chipotle uh, right in my neighborhood, and every day I get off the metro and I see it right around and dinner time. And I buy time. a burrito. No, I'm just kidding. I see it around <laughs> dinner time, and before the line. You know, every night would be to the door or out the door, and now there's maybe two, three people. So there is undoubtedly, you know, that slowdown. They talk about how comps fell for uh, during the holiday season, like fifteen percent almost. Stunning. And overall, though, you know, love it or hate it, I feel like the public and a lot of consumers in general have short memories. And this time next year, uh, with how well the companies address these issues, how open they've been about communicating, working with, um, you know. The, the government's like safety organizations and just making sure that they're implementing these best practices. It definitely seems like the company's heart is definitely in the right place. Exactly. That's really long term. Exactly. What, you know, you need to be concerned about with conscious capital and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, David, we've had a couple of shows about this situation and I cannot wait to get your thoughts. Um, what do you think of AB InBev's move to buy SAB Miller? Uh, so I mean, overall, I I, I this is a uh, sorry to interrupt. It's a big company. And it you is. usually don't go for big companies. That's so. true. Well, I mean, it's yes. The market cap of the company is about just short of two hundred billion dollars. So it's a company that um, I and the reason that I like it and have recommended the stock wasn't wasn't that Sean. It was it was just that I look backwards and see a hundred plus years of a successful company and and really a few thousand years of commitment by the human race to beer. Right. I look at a company today that has 17 $1 billion beers, 17 different channels for different types of beer at that kind of a scale, and I just look for the next thousand years or so. Um, I'm sorry to say, 
probably not all of which will be living, although we are all living longer, and technology proceeds apace. But, um, Fingers crossed. I just think it's around forever, and I think it's a really successful company. And I don't really have a strong reaction or thought about Miller. What, Vince, what do you think? Well, the issue there is, and what we brought up last time we talked about when this deal was first announced, is... Uh, I guess ultimately what their position will be just in terms of the regulatory environment and the fact that, you know, as David mentioned, they have so many of these huge brands combining that with SAP Miller, which uh-huh. commands its own, it has its own strength in certain markets that AB InBev wants access to. You know, when you have this massive conglomerate with that much concentration in terms of uh, its market share and its dominance over the industry, you know. What concessions are they going to have to make? What are they going to have to split off? And it'll be really interesting to see what kind. Of, ultimately, you know, if the deal goes through, what that final entity looks like, where their strengths are, what brands they're able to hold on to. Yeah, the the one key takeaway I remember from that show, Vince, was we concluded it was like they're basically trading SAB Miller's U.S. based businesses for. The growth markets of Africa and South America. Yes. Their economies are going a lot faster. People are their incomes are going up, and like David talked about, um, it's about the next hundred years, not you know the next five years. Uh, certainly, there's always regu- regulatory risk when you get that large, and um, you know I I always like to think about the companies that we're recommending in all of our services um, being standalones and not expecting them to, um, in most cases, need to merge or um, Really, you know, hoping that a sugar daddy comes along, or there will be some super merger which causes this company to take over the world. So this is just a great company on its own. Uh, It's one of the lower risk companies that you can buy. I mean, in Motley Fool Supernova, one thing that we do is we put a number, we put a risk rating number on every one of our stocks, and it's a scale from zero to twenty-five. There is zero lower is lower risk. Yeah. To be simple, so twenty-five would be crazy, insane risk. Really, a stock that we would never recommend. So, and 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 Apple is a five. Okay. So, AB InBev is a seven, and and that's 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 a very low risk stock. Did Apple win because standpoint. of its huge bank account. <laughs> that's definitely a factor. I mean, our twenty-five point scale is basically twenty-five yes or no questions, and we ask those same questions of every single company, and every no is a plus one for risk. In other words, every no means that's riskier. So we only had seven no's for our for our, our system. And I'll mention that for a few others maybe that we're talking about. But it just reminds me that this is a company that plays a solid, stable dividend and is really if you're a three plus, really five plus year investor, the chances of you losing money on this investment are very, very low in our opinion. So uh, Mr. Gardner, pivoting uh, back over to you know just kind of the supernova service, um, you know, we Talk about it around the office a lot. I get, you know, get emails about the opening. Supernova is currently going through an open right now. Um, as I understand it, you're the chairman of Supernova. <laughs> what can you tell our listeners that may not be super familiar with our services beyond Stock Advisor about Supernova? Sure. Well, Supernova basically brings together all of the stocks that I've picked over the last 10 plus years. So um, I pick against my brother and Motley Fool Stock Advisor for I'm I'm sure some of our I hope some of our listeners are stock advisor members and that's our largest service at the Motley Fool and it's it's the place that I've picked a stock every single month since March of two thousand two. So all my winners and all my losers right there, bing bing bing, month by month through good markets and bad. And then the rule breakers service, which I also pick for. And so you bring all those together in a single service, Supernova, and I think we're answering a need in Supernova that is maybe the greatest expressed need among many of our members, which is would you just do some of this for me? Could you just create portfolios from these stocks? And could I mirror those portfolios? So, with the Motley Fool's own real money, we have um, 
we invest in the companies, the ones we're talking about today, and we say, you know, we're going to give a high allocation to that one, a low allocation to that one. So it's portfolio level thinking. And a lot of our members, especially here at the turn of the new year, might have a resolution to be better or do better in the year ahead with their investing. And so I think for a lot of people, they don't have a lot of experience building a portfolio or confidence. You know, we can talk about Chipotle or AB InBev. The question then is, you know, how much would it be within your portfolio? And if you're young and have a long time ahead, what should that allocation be? Versus if I'm now a little bit older than you guys, I'm sorry to say, but you know, it's been a great run here. I'm I'm 49, so I still have, I hope, at least 50 years left to invest. But you know, for people who are getting nearer retirement, um, how should they invest in these companies? So that's what we do in Supernova. It is an exciting service. Um, it's in its fourth year. It's all of its real money portfolios are beating the stock market, which is really the aim of Motley Fool Supernova to help you beat the market to make it brainless and easy for you. And and we open the service once or two, twice a year. So this is this is a special time. We're launching a new mission called Odyssey Two. Uh, we have kind of a NASA framework. So we name our we call these missions not portfolios, and we name them kind of like Apollo. Let's go with not thirteen. Let's go with right. Apollo One. <laughs> and uh, so so that's what we do. And so there's a new portfolio kicking off for people who are regularly investing money. So that's that's what we're doing at Supernova. Cool. So uh, you might have to switch to a SpaceX. Kind of theme. It's someday. a private company, as you guys know, but and and it had a difficult um, result over the weekend. But you know, we really admire. What was it? A stand broke or one of the supports or something? I, I uh, yeah, <coughs> another uh, explosion, unfortunately. But they've also made a lot of progress. Too. That's the thing. They You're trying things landing, that no one's yeah. ever done before. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Of course, we all remember that from 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 NASA and what it's done over the years. So, but uh, yes, that's a really. A company that we admire. We love companies that are innovating, and a number of the ones we're talking about today are companies that I think are real innovators. Even I would say, you know, Anheuser Busch was a real innovator, um, especially when you think about the branding and marketing that it brought, and and driving down prices and making beer really uh, increasingly affordable over the course of the 20th yeah. century. Standard. There's a lot of innovation uh, in, in these companies, and that's really what I think separates. Great investments from not so great investments are the companies that really truly innovate and can do so over time. That's the hardest thing to do in business. Yeah. So uh, before we come in here, Vince, you know, said to me, he's like, we've got to talk about what's going on in um, let's just call it entertainment. Um, my sister emailed me last night. And was like, hey, have you ever heard of Sling? And I'm like, well, yeah. What can you tell me about it? Um, I my son and I watch Winnie the Pooh every morning on Netflix. We do not have cable. We just have the internet. I mean, big things are happening right now. A couple of your picks are, you know, in in ways they're a little bit, you know, slightly connected, but um, a couple of picks are basically just involved in the future of entertainment, which I want to talk about, which is uh, Stars, Take Two, and Walt Disney. Um, Whatever word you want to talk in, but we'd love to get your thoughts on these. Sure. Well, and it's a conversation. I'll just say a few things. And uh, first of all, um, I like I really like content companies. You know, there's there's a great um, f- I would say false argument that goes on between which is king, uh, con- is content king or is distribution king? Um, and the truth is, you need to have both. Both are always going to be there. And if the scale ever tilts too far, and everyone's saying, "Well, distribution is all that matters," then I'm going to start saying, "No, content matters a lot." Sometimes people go the other way, and they say, "You know, just having great content—that's all that matters." And but you kind of have to be on Netflix or need Netflix if you want to have a lot of viewers. So the good thing about Netflix, which we're not talking about today, is that it has both. And so companies that that do both are really powerful and admirable companies. But yeah, I, Stars, Take Two, and Disney. Um, of those three, of course, Disney by far the largest and most successful with both content and distribution, and and so many channels to take those entertainment properties, whether it's a lunchbox or a. a could theme you park. believe the success of Star Wars? I couldn't. 
Well, I would say I, I could believe it, Sean, in the yeah. sense that I, I mean, I, we, maybe we talked about this before it came out, but I mean, I think we all, a lot of people expected it to be the biggest movie of right. all time, which it has been. Yeah. But I have to admit, I haven't actually really kept up with the numbers. So, what has blown you away? The speed it got okay. to seven hundred fifty million dollars domestically in like two less than two weeks. I mean, crazy numbers and. I mean, it took what uh, Avatar had a crazy, but it didn't have any competition. It right. was a summer movie, all this stuff. I just couldn't believe the speed. I, I, I know we took this. out a theater for some employees here at the Motley Fool right nearby. Did either of you guys attend that first morning? We Absolutely. both did. Absolutely. Thank you okay. very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Yeah, Good. I would. Um, I, I could never turn that an opportunity. Told, I think we told our <laughs> listeners about it, right? Because yeah. this okay. was on Good. a Friday. Yeah. Good. It would have been. So broke a record for me too, personally. It's the first movie I've seen three times in theaters. All right. Nice. Oh, wow. Contribute as much as I can to those record-breaking box office. Numbers. Disney, thanks. <laughs> What's well, funny is that that shows a little bit of a generation gap here at the table because um, having grown up myself in an age where there were no, not even VCRs yet, um, when you went to the movie theater, that was going to be your one shot to see that movie. Right. Uh, you usually would go for me at least three times to the original Star Wars because you didn't know that it would ever come back. It would be on TV five years later, maybe you'd see it once here or there. So the, the idea of actually being able to eventually have a DVD. That you could buy and watch it any time you wanted would have been magic to me at the age of ten. Um, so for that reason, I think I've only seen it once because I'm expecting to see it many times afterward. But to go to the theater that many times is outstanding. I would say it was almost de rigueur, you know, in 1975. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, yeah, it's a it was it was a fine movie. I, I thought it was very derivative of the first Star Wars, the New Hope. It definitely structured a lot. Felt no that spoilers way. for yeah. those possibly few people who haven't yet seen it who want to see it. But um, I did feel like it was a very safe approach to the reboot. I thought it was powerful and important, uh, and obviously for Disney. But, you know, getting back to all three of these companies, they all have content. And um, and I, I think that um, in a world where d- distribution is getting easier and cheaper and more global all the time, I mean, you just pin something up on a website and anybody can watch it or rewatch it multiple times. We hope that that website is a legal website. Um, in fact, piracy is kind of largely going away because of the cheapness and accessibility of so much of this content. Anyway, so I like all these companies. Of course, Stars and Take Two are much edgier and niche compared with Disney and its content. And another company that we have, Lionsgate Films, is also another example, kind of Hunger Games, where they're not going for Winnie the Pooh, which, by the way, I'm a huge Winnie the Pooh fan, but, <laughs> but you know, they're going for usually sci-fi, or you think about stars with Outlander. Um, these, are, these are companies that know their audience and are creating content that lives in libraries for a long, long time and just keeps creating recurring cash flows for the companies that create good content. So, yes, I like all these. I realize I'm rambling, so I need, no, need to fine, keep moving. Yeah. I mean, I really love video games. And why do I love video games? Not only because I'm a gamer, but because I love interactive content. I think that that's, that's one of the great developments of my lifetime, is content going interactive, being able to be a character or tell your own story uh, and do it maybe socially with other people online. Very different from just sitting there and sitting... Uh, Looking at a screen, uh, carefully curated, directed, um, you know, non-interactive bit of fiction that we all grew up with and still enjoy today, movies and TV. So I really love interactive content. And as things proceed into virtual reality, the next big medium and channel, uh, that's going to be even more um, valuable. So uh, a company like Take Two, of course, I, I have a special feeling for. Yeah, Vince, did you in your research did you come across any uh, particular games or trends towards like virtual reality or anything from Take Two? Well, the thing, interesting thing in terms of just gaming overall, from my personal experiences, you know, I pl- I played games for a long time, high school, college, and then I stopped for some time. Vince, so, 
What happened? There was about five years, I'd say, where I just I didn't have time and right. I kind of lost interest. Yeah. School. Yeah. So I picked. I'd say right. in the past six months, I've gotten gone into PC gaming again. So you know, and I have, have noticed in that five years yeah. there's a ton of changes in the way that it's delivered. So uh, David mentioned piracy. You know, they have reduced privacy or uh, piracy with games a lot by making it so easy and seamless for you to get that game. It, it, people are willing to pay that price because the delivery uh, is just so simple now. You can have that game in two hours, download it, don't have to go to the store or worry about anything like that. And also, I just think it's really interesting as well is, you know, they, before, you know, you'd have a new release, you'd have a ton of sales in the month or two after, and then it kind of bottoms out. But now they have this longer tail because there's all these DLC packages, uh, expansions to just for one title, and you can really extend the revenue that it generates. And you know, I've gotten hooked into that as well with some of the games that I like. If if I spend a lot of time on it, but I get tired of certain maps or gameplay styles, then I will download or and purchase some of the newer ones. And it's really interesting to see how that's allowed. Take two, they have you know their mega titles like Grand Theft Auto, but some of the other ones as well. Like they've introduced like this online currency into their NBA games, which has really been successful for them. And it's just ten. You know, when I was playing game 2010, sure there was online multiplayer and things like that, but having that sophistication. Now there are free agents. What's going on? <laughs> exactly, it's fun. Yeah, very well put, Vince. I agree. And you, know, you think about the, this company, its ability through downloadable content, D- DLC, to extend. Um, the value of just brands and franchises that it has. And it kind of reminds me a little bit about what's happened with television and why I think we're living in the so-called golden age of television. Because, you know, for a lot of people, they don't... Um, so, if you are a busy professional, let's give you a spouse and maybe a child or two, um, and you only have 45 minutes uh, of entertainment for the night, you're much more likely to select characters that you know, a continuing story that you appreciate, and in a bite-sized chunk of 45 minutes than you are a traditional two-hour movie. Possibly commercial-free. Possibly commercial-free, <laughs> indeed. So, that's such a compelling value proposition. So, you have television just blooming with that. And it's kind of the same a little bit with video games in that if you already have the character in the game, now you can extend it and keep playing it with new content as opposed to buying the next video game. And so, we're essentially seeing the extension of valuable franchises into deeper value um, uh, for the companies that own these characters and these stories. So, yeah, Grand Theft Auto is obviously a prime example within um, the world of video games, but as Vince mentioned, of course, Take-Two has a lot of other games besides Tales. Uh, Borderlands is a, is a really fun game for people, uh, a cartoonish um, role-playing game shooter, a real well, mashup. Like a little, yeah. Kind of, yeah, really, that's a fun game. But they, uh, the NBA game is a big success for them. And, we should probably keep moving, guys, because I oh, can talk fine. too long no, about no, video no, games. It's fine. I'm really glad that Vince has come back, though. He came home. He had five years off from the medium. I, well, I uh, I stopped playing for a couple of years, and then uh, I played uh, the third, second or third Halo when I was in college, and I had stopped or whatever, and I came back, and these 12 year old kids were destroying yeah, me on yeah. Xbox Live. That's one really funny thing very about humbling. playing games on the internet is basically you don't know who you're playing first of all, but you're playing really the best players in the world right. potentially. Unlike the NFL, where I would never be able to get down in the field with any NFL right. player, but online multiplayer, you're playing people who are unbelievably be, yeah. great at, uh, at, at these games. Uh, of course, yeah. good systems kind of match you up at appropriate levels, but that's one of the fun things I think about playing online video games is that you can play people who are 
just way too good. So uh, this next company, really quick, and uh, we'll probably cut these last two companies short okay. really quick. But um, I'm rambling. My uh, my mother and my sister will love that this company is a pick by the fool, which is Blue Nile. Um, really quickly, just why is it a foolish company? Aren't they in the penalty box for rule breakers? And what the heck is a web room? Yeah. Okay. Good. So I mean, so Blue Nile is a company that is one of our longest running um, recommendations at at rule breakers, and that's bad news because it's not been a great stock. So it's still kind of sitting about where it Hanging was out there, in yeah. 2000. Four when I first picked it. I, I've owned shares all the way through, so I've just kind of sat on a lemon. Uh, it had a really good first few years with Mark Vadon, who was the founder. Uh, it, it, it proceeded really well. He left the company. He went on to start Zoo Lily. He made a lot of money through that. Public market investors didn't do so well with, with that company, and nor have public market investors done really well with Blue Nile. But I do really like the company. I think the reason you're talking about uh, your mother and your sister being, or your wife being happy that you that we're talking about this is that it is the engagement ring company and it's jewelry online it's i mean it's a good business the problem is it's had very little growth and i i was picking it at a time where i thought they would make real inroads into tiffany and others kind of the traditional right. using online to defeat bricks and mortar it's not really happened i think part of the reason is that a company like tiffany has such a strong and revered brand that um it it it, it can't really be as well undermined by the online medium as many other um, verticals in in retail. Yeah, it almost seems like you want to buy certain things in person, no matter what. And engagement ring being the perfect. Example. I think that's true. Mr. I mean, I'm still. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Vince. Well, I think that feeling definitely extends. The Vince the is more... recently engaged, by the way. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and were you a buyer? I was not a buyer. I had an heirloom. Oh, I'm ring, sorry. Oh, I but apologize. But I Beautiful. have been. I have been doing the research just yeah. out of curiosity, um, and it's true. The higher cost the item, the the more I feel like there's going to be a greater reluctance to just pull the trigger, click that mouse, submit yep. your payment. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why they've introduced the idea of the web room and why they're trying to expand on that to give people that physical in-store presence to be able to handle some inventory, mm -hmm. because you know spending that. Several thousand dollars, or even more, it, it can be hard when you don't actually see it in person. And with something with the, like a diamond, where it the way it plays in the light and had the clarity and all these things, it might not translate that well on your computer screen. Frankly, yeah. cool. Before we go, uh, Mr. Gardner, I did want to get your thoughts on uh, Taser International. We recently did a firearms show, basically just because of the huge sales that uh, is occurring in that industry mm -hmm. as of late. Um, what can you tell us about Taser and why they are a disruptor? Let me just, I know we're closing out here, so let me just say before I go that um, I'm really excited to hear each of the shows and the themes that you've picked up. And you guys are going deeper into these stories than I do. Um, one of the things that I do is I, I basically am overseeing about 205 companies in the Supernova universe. So I kind of liken myself a little bit to a mutual fund manager yeah. where I have just, it's a huge wide waterfront. They're all my picks, but I guess when. Peter Lynch was investing in Fidelity Magellan. He had 800 companies in that. And, you know, you'd ask Peter about one of the stocks, and he, he wouldn't necessarily have that much, but he could talk about trends yeah. or groups. That's kind of how I feel. So I really appreciate the deep dives that you guys are doing in industry focus. And, uh, and you know, I, I, so I bet you covered more in firearms and with Taser than, than I'm going to say right now. But I, I do want to say that, you know, I like this company a lot because I, I do. The, the mega trend clearly of transparency in our law enforcement is an unstoppable force at this point, and Taser does stand to be a beneficiary. It's not the only company that's selling um, body cameras to the police, but whether it's, I think, an excellent weapon, and I and I really do feel that way. I really do believe that uh, Tasers are superior to guns because they don't kill. They're non-lethal. Yeah. yeah, they're non-lethal. I mean, th there are some very edge cases where people have died being tased. Um, 
But um, there are so many people who are dying every day by gunshots that I'm very persuaded it's a better answer for for our country and really globally. It's a better weapon for law enforcement. And then you unite that with body cameras, and that's a really awesome one-two punch. Uh, Taser has been up and down as a stock. We we had it in rule breakers back in the day. It wasn't a good stock. We sold at a loss back then. We've recently brought it back because of the whole law enforcement transparency thing. I like the company. and I, and I also like, here's one thing I like about Taser. I can't easily name the second place competitor. I got nothing. Right. Anything whenever guns? I whenever I know Coca-Cola, but I can't see Pepsi. So if Taser's Coca-Cola, who's Pepsi? And I love it when there's no answer to that question. That's still the way I feel about Amazon. Um, you know, there's no clear, you could say Walmart, maybe, not really. There used to be Buy.com was a cheaper Amazon back then. Who's that? But there's but... really, that's it. There's really no company like that. Or even for Netflix, I would say, there's no clear company. I mean, in some ways, HBO, but not really. Uh, in some ways, Amazon Video, but not really. So I feel that way about Taser. Awesome. Very good. Well, Mr. Gardner, thank you so much for being on the show and giving us some of your insights into some consumer goods companies and explaining Supernova. Um, we pretty much need to do this all the time now. I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> have me back anytime. I really enjoy talking about these companies. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And you know, to close, uh, to double close, because I think I said that earlier. You know, I, I think it's great to focus on consumer companies. For, especially for investors, especially for investors, individual investors like me. These are companies that we can study and get to know much better. Chipotle, um, Take-Two Interactive, than a lot of the larger, more industrial or business-to-business companies, which are more opaque and harder to read their financials. So, I really celebrate uh, that consumer mindset that looks for consumer retail stocks. Well, and that's how you and your brother got and started investing when you were kids. Your dad told you to invest in what you know. What was it, a grocery store trip or something? That yeah, exactly. Yeah. In a lot of ways, yeah. We just went down to our local Safeway here in Washington, D.C., in Georgetown, and he said, hey, kids, look, chocolate pudding. We own a little bit of We were like seven years old. <laughs> we own a little bit of the company that makes that chocolate pudding. Let's go get more chocolate pudding. So, it made him a very popular dad with us. He made it fun, but he was getting us in touch with the idea that you can be an owner of, of stock. You can be a part owner of the company for products and services that you like. So, when you have um, a son and you're watching Winnie the Pooh, that's a great introduction uh, for him into, into I'm going to buy him some Disney stock now. I, I, <laughs> I, bet, I bet Netflix will make more money than the chocolate pudding company yeah. did, actually. Well, but, uh, you anyway. Know. anyway, very good. Well, thank you once again for your time. Thanks, guys. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For David Gardner and Vincent Shen, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.